Happy September, Working Wife, Happy Life listeners. I hope you're doing okay-ish, as I don't think anyone is doing well, per se, even though we keep wishing this upon people. Here in the Northeast of U.S., we are back to school. At least in South Jersey, we're doing a hybrid model for now, and it's going about as iffy as you'd think. The kids were a little shell-shocked in the first day back in the building, given all the precautions, and the parents were a little shell-shocked for the first day of remote. Uh, definitely some yelling and some tears, but hopefully this, too, will start to feel normal. I keep likening my state of mind to everyday things. <clears throat> One week I was an egg in a frying pan, trying to dance around the pan quickly enough to not get burned. Last week, I felt like a pinball in a pinball machine, just getting pushed all over the board in one direction, then the next, and not sure if it's going to be bonus points or a lost ball. This week, I honestly haven't thought of a new one, so maybe I'll be a pinball in a frying pan. We're just trying to get through the day. So on this next episode, I finally had the chance to connect with Lauren Smith Brody, the founder of the Fifth Trimester Movement and best-selling author of her book by the same name. We were supposed to connect just prior to everything shutting down in New York, and I'm so glad that we were able to reschedule. And sometimes things happen for a reason. I think her message is even more relevant now, and I cannot believe how much we covered in this hour. We discussed key lessons in her best-selling book, networking in the age of remote work, the history of FMLA, which is the Family Leave Act, the importance of involving your partner in the early days of childcare, as well as how to continue to succeed in your career by setting boundaries, managing expectations of yourself, and striving for advancement. Yes, even if you're working remotely. I love this conversation so much, and I hope that you do too. Enjoy. Yeah, this was one of those mornings where I was on it. So I suffer from insomnia and I can fall asleep, but then I wake up and my mind just starts going. So two nights ago, I had really bad insomnia. Last night, I had a good night's sleep. And then you just wake up and you're like so much more grateful for a good yeah. night's sleep when you can't get one. Yeah. So I feel like today has been kind of you're so on. far, knock on wood, running smoothly. <laughs> Who says that at 10 a.m.? I totally just jinxed it. No, but except you've probably done like between now and 10 a.m. from the time you were up and 10 a.m. more than like a lot of people do in a day normally, you know? People yeah. Have- Some days are like that. I feel like I need, I had one day where I had no meetings and mm-hmm. without like any schedule, I got nothing done. You know, Uh like I need that time where I'm like, okay, I have a half hour to crank something out. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually have never met. I feel like I know you, which is very strange (laughs) to say. Um, I know you did come to Google to talk about your incredible book, The Fifth Trimester. um, And I'm so glad that we finally made this time to connect because we were actually supposed to record right before the lockdown. I feel like we had the schedule on the week that everything shut down in New York. Around probably March 7th or 8th, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. I mean, I, my last day in the city, you know, for true shutdown time was March 4th. And we, we came down to New Jersey and that was it. Um, so unfortunately we didn't get to meet at that time, but I feel like everything happens for a reason because there's so much more, uh, to discuss in your area of focus and your expertise. And, you know, I think particularly 
your emphasis on women returning to work after Mm -hmm. maternity leave, it's almost like the fifth trimester never ends, right? You know, it's so funny. And and you've brought me right back to that, that week. I think we're all talking about March 12th seems to be the date that we've all decided on like sort of universally, like when, when at least, at least in New York, and I think in a lot of the country, you know, everything sort of just paused. And I, at that point, had a time very open about, about sort of the way my business works and what I charge. And I think, you know, my general philosophy is that, you know, the more open and honest women are about finances, um, the better we can share information and, you know, lift each other up rising tide sort of idea. Mm -hmm. And I will share with you that that week I had like 20 things that were all so close to coming through or were like already in contract and they all fell apart. one of them. And the timing was in many ways useful because my husband's an essential worker. He's a doctor and he needed to be working 14 hour days out of the house. There was no PPE at first. He got sick. Like, thank God I didn't have the pressure of a lot of those contracts. At the same time, I thought, oh my God, this whole thing that I've been building for four years is crashing down. Not just that the contracts fell apart, but also that I suddenly found myself saying to people, but it's still really important to support new moms right now who are coming back to work. And like, what did coming back to work even mean? Right. And pretty quickly, I would say within like six weeks, it helped that my husband got better and my kids, my kids school, like could not have been better at handling the remote. Like I just, I have no, you know, complaints at all there. They were amazing. That's amazing. And pretty quickly I kind of realized, oh, actually this is more relevant than ever. It's almost like we're all in our fifth trimesters now, that feeling Mm -hmm. of being raw and exposed and having to prioritize the personal in a way you never had before and having your personal life be visible and having to negotiate for flexibility. And it just is something suddenly that, you know, even like Joe in accounting who doesn't have any kids is also contending with. Right. It beca- it's, I think, made new motherhood a little less stigmatized, actually, and mm-hmm. it made that the need that new mo- the needs that new mothers have to be able to ask for, you know, the changes that they need to be able to do their jobs well, um, and be the kinds of moms they want to be. Those are now universal needs, and so right. you know, as we correct for them, actually, a lot of the work I've been able to do now is webinars that aren't just for for new moms, but are for dads too, and for partners, and for anybody with caregiving needs. That could be elder care, that could be an older child, that could be a spouse, that could be yourself, your own mental health. And like, I had this big eureka moment of going from thinking like, oh no, this has all just disappeared in a puff of smoke to no, actually it's, it's bigger and more relevant than it's expanded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that word universal because I think we talk so much about empathy in leadership, uh, at least at Google, uh, Mm -hmm. thankfully. And universal is almost the other side of that coin because once Mm -hmm. everyone can relate, then you no longer actually need empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like it's kind of been that great, neutralizer of, you know, everyone, and and it comes back to boundaries. And I think that's something where particularly women in the workforce have been seen to a need more boundaries or, Mm -hmm. you know, the perception that they require more boundaries, um, but also tend to get more penalized or stigmatized for asking for them. And now we're all in this, you know, zone where 
anyone I've spoken to that has been forced into the remote work feels like they are on more calls longer, that their personal time before 8 a.m. or after 6 p.m. is less respected. Mm-hmm. Um, weekends, there's almost, you know, and, and everyone's struggling to provide their own boundaries or have their own routines. Like I said, this morning, I actually got up, worked out, mm-hmm. did everything. I actually was showered by 9 a.m., which if I'm being totally frank, has maybe happened once in the past 60 days, right? So it's like, I don't have my routine routine yet either. Um, but I, I would imagine, you know, as we are looking at this being, you know, we were just talking before we started to record here, like this is going to be the foreseeable future. This is not the two week, potentially two month thing that we thought it was. We're now looking at it. Yeah. 18 to 24 month horizon. And after that much of a routine shift, Mm -hmm. that then is really the normal. So Mm -hmm. what does work look like two years from now and how do we sustain? So I agree. I think your message while originally and before we had the opportunity to potentially connect in March was so relevant for new moms. And I think just generally working moms, working parents um, now has taken a much more broader message in kind of how you integrate your, your home life and your work life. Mm-hmm. You hit on something when you were, um, when we first started talking that I would love to get your perspective on. And it's the the premise of a lot of what we talk about on this podcast and a lot of the work I do is centered around breadwinning women. So Mm -hmm. women who are the sole or primary providers for their households. And there is so much stigma and shame when it comes to women and money. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of conversation about the need for transparency around that. One, because you can't identify inequities if they're hidden in the shadows. Um, And two, information is power, right? And you talk about negotiating, you talk about uh, financial planning, you talk about, you know, when can I retire? If I don't know what the difference is for earning potential between my level and the next level up. I don't know how much that va- that's valuable to me. Right. Right. And, and the, some of the sacrifices I may have to make for my lifestyle or for my, but does it get me closer to goal? So without that transparency, it's actually very challenging to uh, be as intentional as you want to be about your career. What is your perspective and what are some tips maybe that you have come across in terms of how, women in particular can start to engage in this conversation because I do think it's critically important. I think you just absolutely nailed it. Um, I will share that I, one of my very best friends um, in the world leads uh, the, is the gender director. So she leads gender work at the New York times. Her name is Francesca Donner. Oh, I was on a panel with her. She is fantastic. Yes. Reminder panel. Yes. Oh, she's great. All of our little, everything just got tied in a bow. Um, She's wonderful. (laughs) She and I prepped for that panel for like an hour. (laughs) Oh, she's so great. We had such a fun time. She taught me something. Maybe she said it on stage. I hope she did. Um, it was sort of early on when we both had kids, um, starting preschool and there's this awkwardness, you know, in, we live in New York city and there's this, you know, in there's, there's just uh, the pace is fast and people are extremely ambitious and there's, you know, there are a lot of, of extremely educated people and people who are, you know, very, um, very invested in their careers and in the money that they make. And she was meeting a lot of moms and she wasn't sure who, was working for a, you know, an organization, a company, and who was home with their kids doing that work. And so she started asking people, rather than saying, do you work? She started saying to people, do you work for a paycheck or do you work for not a paycheck? And I love that. It was so eye-opening to me. And the reason yeah. I mention it is because when you talked about, you know, the, the pay transparency, 
about the next level up, if you're going to go for it, you know, if you're going to really strive to, you know, to, it's funny to talk about striving right now, but you know, it's important not to, not to give up that conversation. If you're going to go for that, it's going to require some compromises, obviously of time, of resources, of, you know, how much, uh, how much you can invest in things like, you know, having somebody come clean your house or how much childcare you can afford, that kind of thing. And so it's really important to be able to put a value to the time that you're losing to be able to do those things at home too. So, you know, if you can place a value on, this is simplification, but like on, on every load of laundry that you do, and I'm not saying you have to have like a dollar amount in your mind, but if you can see that as, value and as time spent working toward, you know, creating the home life, but also the entire life that you have, you know, in front of you, home and work all integrated, I think it makes it easier to make those decisions. So I would say that, yes, we need salary transparency and we need to, um, I see it all the time in the, um, most of the work that I do now is speaking and mm-hmm. I'm paid for it. And there is, you know, uh, there are, you know, with some people, I have a speaking agent who handles some of my gigs, not others of my gigs. And there are, you know, people who are sort of in my circle of, I've created this little circle of colleagues now that I'm not working, you know, in an office in corporate America anymore, I'm working for myself, but of colleagues who are also speakers. And I have really started to, um, appreciate the ones who, when I was first starting out said to me, here's what I ask for. Here's mm-hmm. what I think. Here's how you, you say that number in a phone call and not in an email. And by the way, $5,000 is a really important number because in a lot of corporations, that's the number after which people need to get special permission. They might Mm -hmm. have no flexibility to just, you know, have a $5,000 bill this month and that's okay. That information was so valuable to me. And so now I try to offer it back to anybody else who I see starting out as well. Um, So there's, you know, lots wrapped up in in that answer, but I think it's all worthwhile. And I think you're you're hitting on a really important point of, lifting each other up because we know this can be an uncomfortable place. We are socialized from day one to not talk Mm -hmm. about money, that money isn't feminine, that you shouldn't ask for what you want. One, so that's how we come into the conversation. How we're perceived in that conversation is completely different than our male counterparts. And Mm -hmm. I actually, to the speaker point, had the same exact thing where I had a friend who said, literally, here's my rate card. Mm-hmm. And if it's travel and if we can combine it with another trip, mm-hmm. then I will go down to this. Otherwise, it will be this. If it's an overnight, it will be that. And, you know, very, very specific. And then you feel so confident having that conversation because, once again, you know your boundaries. Um But you actually hit on another topic that I would love to address. And mm-hmm. this is the idea of thriving and striving right now because it is – And this is, again, where I feel like we're all now perpetually in this fifth trimester zone where, Mm -hmm. you know, so many of us are just trying to tread water and keep our heads above. But at the same (laughs) rate, if we're doing this for the next two years, so I just turned 44, CNBC has indicated that a woman's earning power actually plateaus at 44. Men have an extra 11 years, they plateau at 55 um, on average. So for me, this is it. Right. So I'm like, okay, so I am the primary breadwinner for my family. Mm-hmm. I know I have two very expensive children who are <laughs> sleeping or on their iPads right now. So, <laughs> I, you know, this is it. I've got to make my moves, whether I'm in lockdown or not. And yeah. so how, how do you see this playing out in the conversations you're having about how people are considering trying to actually advance their career or potentially pivot or take on a new job, take mm-hmm. on a new role in a time where we're essentially still living in crisis. 
So a lot of what I'm talking to my coaching clients about, another piece of my business is that, and it's mostly with, um, do you see, I have some private clients, but I mostly have a law firm that's hired me to coach their new moms and has also um, hired me to do some sort of COVID, you know, coaching right now as people, as people need it. And they are, it's a law firm, right? So they are, as many of us are really inclined to count success in six minute increments. You know, they actually have, you know, in order to, to get, you know, their bonus this year, they need to hit a certain number of hours. And in some ways, you know, that's, that's great that they have measures of success that are so clearly measurable in other, and, and I think other industries have, have their equivalents too, maybe not to that extreme, but to some degree. And, what I've seen happening with them and, you know, and really other women I'm coaching is that we're all having to adjust our, our standards, not, our, not standards like, you know, like, like lowering your standards in any way, but our, our measures of success. So if you used to measure success by working until, you know, st- staying late and working until 9 or 10 PM at your office, you know, once a week, that's no longer possible. Um, you may still be working late hours, in fact, more late hours than you ever have before, but it may not add up to exactly the same nine or 10 hour workday that you used to be able to have. But there is something that happens, even pandemic aside, I think, as we advance in our careers and as we become leaders. So our time is more valuable. Our experience and the ideas that we have are probably more valuable because they're grounded in all of that experience. And you can have, you can quote me on this, you can have a more productive shower in which you are in the shower and you have a great idea in those three minutes because it's the only time you've had alone all day mm-hmm. and you're actually relaxed than you may have had in a whole work day before of just trying to get through your list and be productive and deliver those deliverables. I think it's important that we not, as we advance in our careers, we, we don't measure success just in terms of minutes spent mm-hmm. and time. And obviously, if you're in a client-driven industry and you have to bill clients for a certain amount of time, you know, there's some some adjustments that need to be made there as, as I give this advice. But for most of us, and I know for me, and this has definitely been true in this pandemic time, the expectations that I've had of myself have had to change. And the measures that I have at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month about was this successful enough? Was this satisfying maybe more than it was successful? Is mm. it not just like, did I do an amazing job, but did I do my job? Right. And sometimes just staying the course and just doing your job through something that's incredibly hard is enough. It's funny you said um, treading water because that's actually the title of one of the presentations that I've been giving as a webinar oh. preparations now. As I as I pivoted and I went from like all of this in-person stuff that got canceled and started pitching webinars instead, um, the title of it is more than just treading water, you know, how to how to succeed and possibly even grow right now as a working parent. That's incredible because it is, it's, you know, it, I think at the beginning of, of this, uh, pandemic. And again, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who has now been able to one, keep her job yeah. and to, uh, work remotely. So very different from essential workers, very different from those who have been furloughed or laid off. Um, but it, it is important as we look at the, the horizon for this being even longer. And, you know, I think what you hit on with expectations is Mm -hmm. critical. And we've been talking a lot about this at Google as we come. A lot of companies, I think, are coming up to their performance review season. Mm -hmm. Good times, right? Like, how do you measure how somebody has performed in the midst of 
chaos where there's been loss of of stability there's been loss of life there's been yeah. mental health challenges there's been all of these parts of your life plus by the way normal life is still happening on top of this yeah. so right people are still getting regular sick and people are still yeah. regular dying and and you, you know all of this kids medical school medical forms you know done in time for school to start <laughs> the fucking dentist wants to see them. I'm like, they're yeah. fine. Like I mean, they do I not know. need to go to the dentist right now. But I mean, those are the things where it's like, you know, by the way, we're now expected to be regular productive citizens. So that's mm -hmm. where I think our expectations. And again, I, I'm sensing a theme here about boundaries, but mm -hmm. it comes back to really being clear about your expectations of yourself, mm -hmm. communicating those expectations and aligning with your manager or your boss or your organization or if you're an entrepreneur like yourself, what are the measures of success that you thought you were going to have toward mm -hmm. the second half of 2020 versus what this actually looks like now? And again, not lowering your standards, but knowing when good enough is good enough. And that is not, that's not been the mantra for our careers for the first Ever. half of this, right? Ever. It's been striving for that. Now, I don't want to hold ourselves to the premise of perfection, um, but we've all been hustling. I call it, I mean, I've always called it never enoughness syndrome. You know, mm. I mean, I am the, the first, you know, couple of years of working for myself were really sort of emotionally weird for me because I was used to having an annual review. I was used to, you know, striving to feel like if I, you know, if I could get promoted every 18 or 24 months, like I knew I was doing okay. Um, and having to be that for myself, um, is, is different and, and hard. Um, I want to talk about how do managers, how can managers um, measure success? You know, when we are looking at, you know, year over year of performance and improvement, it's a really, really hard question. I think, you know, to the degree that, um, that organizations are able to, I think that being able to have stayed the course is enough. Um, mm -hmm. It needs to be seen as successful because, you know, the alternative is we have a huge number of women right now who are dropping out of the workforce and, you yes. know, making the incredibly hard decision to, to be home. And, um, and that's your alternative. Your alternative is, is losing people and is, you know, the cost of attrition and what it's going to take to rebuild and the cost of lost leadership, you know, by women. And we know that women's leadership is, is actually, I'm just going to say, is actually more valuable than men's leadership. When you look at the um, just the profit it brings in, the value of your stock, there's all of these amazing studies that I'm sure you've seen that, that prove mm -hmm. how valuable women in leadership are. So if you want to keep them, you need right now to reward having stayed the course, done the basic job that need to get needed to get done, because that required going way above and beyond. And then also potentially start rewarding things that you hadn't rewarded previously. So I would actually ask your employees to think of, you know, what is one, what's one way you grew, you know, and it's probably not going to be like, oh, I got this new client. <laughs> like it's, that's probably not what it's going to be right now. Right. But it might be that your management ability grew and your, you know, relationships with your team grew or you founded, you know, a whole employee resource group to support a specific need 
um, by a population at work that was not being supported before. And that work, there's, oh, there's so much of this that I see with my clients, you know, where they're like in four different ERGs and they're on four different zoom calls per week for those, for those to, to be supportive of their, of their colleagues and of each other and to draw support from them. And that's not usually rewarded. If we, oh, girl, you are. <laughs> we could have a measurable way. And actually, the law firms, I mean, it doesn't always count perfectly, but they actually have a billing code for such time. And, you know, we people don't always, uh, you know, use it to the degree that they should or count the things that they should. But, you know, if you have managed to, you know, mentor someone in this time, speak up about it. And if you're a manager who is evaluating someone's performance, Help them know that that kind of work, especially right now, really counts because it you can make a financial case for how it's supporting the business mm-hmm. and and enhancing the culture and like you said, looking at retention, looking at motivation, looking at dedication, all of those things that are the more intangible aspects mm-hmm. of leadership and success. And and when you talk about knowing all the data points of how female leadership can improve success of your company. And then you see, as if we had to prove it, right? right? And so, but now when you talk about ERGs, in fact, there was just a great article in, uh, I think it was Fortune, Eve Rodsky, uh, who's a friend of mine who wrote it, uh, co-wrote it with a few others. I love her book. I love her. She's great. Yeah. She's fantastic. Um, She's another, I mean, I meet all these wonderful women through just cold emailing people. And I'm like, we need to know each other just like I met you, you know, and it works. It's just such a yours. That's so like, actually, when you have your annual review, you need to bring that up as a skill that you bring. Really? I love it. Thank you. I will. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. And and she, you know, this article highlighted, particularly now, you think about women, you think about people of color, you think about folks in the LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. So you have these women, you have people of color, you have folks in the LGBTQ community that are constantly being tapped to lead some of these challenging conversations in a time of social unrest, in a time of, you know, needing civil justice, all of these areas where we're now being asked to lean in even more on top of the crises that may be happening in our homes. And so, uh, you know, recognizing that one, that's time, just sheer time. There's only 24 hours in the day, no matter who you are. Um, The emotional energy that that can take to not only be a part of those discussions, but to lead them because you have to lead them in a way that is productive, that is creating space, that contributes to the culture, et cetera. And, you know, I think that's long been something that's been very overlooked. It's been more seen as a a nice to have, I think, in the corporate culture. Yeah, totally agree. It actually also shifted my, there's so many biases I came into this work with, and I'm still like, I'm loaded with them, I'm sure I am. but when I started doing the research for my book, I definitely had very specific notions of ambition. And I heard again and again and again from women who would say, honestly, my toughest boss was a woman, you know, somebody who'd had her kids a long time ago in different circumstances and managed to stay in or who had, you know, chosen not to have children or didn't choose to not have children, but just didn't have children. And, you know, and that has been my, my toughest boss so far. And like, why can't women be more supportive of women? And I think there's definitely a kernel of truth to that. And it was, it was some of my own experience at different points in my career as well. But what I've come to realize is that the women who are in leadership, particularly those, you know, 
10 years ago, even five years ago, um, when we were even less represented at high levels. Um, we're Sorry, talking- Lauren, your audio is going a little in and out. Where should I start? Uh, okay, now you're clear. Okay, I'm just putting my, I think it's, I was holding, I think I had my hand over the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's good enough. It is good enough. We'll <laughs> that in the podcast. Um, I'll start with, I'll say, um, what I came to realize is that women in leadership have actually always had this triple burden. So they have to be exceptionally talented to get to, you know, to get into leadership in the first place, to really stand out and work against all of the bias, you know, to, to get there then they have to do that exceptional job because it's hard work being in leadership. It takes, you know, it takes an incredible amount of work, but then they also have to reach back with their arm and extend it to all the women who are coming up underneath them. And that takes up time. That takes Mm -hmm. valuable time away from women who are trying to do jobs that are already incredibly hard in a culture that doesn't support them doing them. And so I have now more empathy, I think, for women in leadership than I used to. It used to be entirely, you know, like, why can't we, you know, role model, you know, being the kinds of leaders that, you know, we needed and we were coming up. And, you know, the truth is like, if I've been doing some panels that have, you know, sort of um, um, women who have great potential who are sort of earlier in their careers, and then pairing that with a panel of women who have made it into leadership, who are a representative set, set, right? You know, they're not, the, the women who are on that first panel have a ton of potential, but aren't necessarily going to all grow up to be those other those other women. And so it's really right. important for each to see the other and to see the potential, but also to see that like there is some burden carried by by being in leadership. Yeah, I mean, I my I often share that my entire career at Google. So I've been there almost seventeen years. I've been a mother for thirteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my entire time as a mother, I've never reported into another mother, never. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we have plenty of female leadership uh, who are mothers, but my specific reporting chain, and it's, you know, I think it's been something where I've seen women who I reported to who have had children since and see things in a different light. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I don't hold it against them. I see it as something, you know, like this is something that we all learn as we go. And there's many things that I've been insensitive to in the past Mm -hmm. that I've now recognized as um, pitfalls of my own leadership style that I needed to learn from. Um, And I think that's part of what this is, is we're all learning. And most of it is because we didn't necessarily have the role models or they were so intangible, right? Like they would be like, the, the Sheryl Sandbergs or, you know, which are, are wonderful to have. But to me, I was like, okay, that's, that is, I'm not in that same bucket. Right. And so, and I'm not saying that to cut myself down or anything, but I, to have somebody that you get to align with or learn from on a day-to-day basis, it, to me, is much more valuable than that aspirational one Mm -hmm. shot, you know, once a quarter, get to see something really interesting come out of that person. Because I want to know how the hell you do this every day. Yeah. Like that's the piece where I think the magic is. I think peer mentorship is just as important. You know, when I, when we talk about, um, I'll help companies figure out how to set up, you know, mom sort of mentorship relationships and everybody assumes you should have, you know, one senior mom and one more junior mom. 
And I think it's better to have a triangle. I think you want mm-hmm. to have, you know, the, the women who are in leadership learning from those who are going through it right now. Um, and I think that if, you know, the third corner of that triangle can be a peer of one of those two people, it's so much more effective. It's just, it's a steady tripod. It's, you know, you all can bounce ideas off of each other without necessarily having that sort of power dynamic of like, oh, but you make more money than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, or you've succeeded, you know, in spite of a lot. And I'm just, um, you know, and I'm doing it with the support and it's still really hard. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I try to teach. How do you see, so, you know, you were, you were talking about kind of earlier about finding people, co- colleagues as you're an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. Um, and I feel like we're all kind of in that boat now too, right? Where you don't have the hallway conversations, you don't have the brainstorm sessions as free form as we used to because of remote work for those of us that do work remotely. How do you think about, I hate this word, but like networking and how, you, how, how we're doing that now and how important it is to still have people to bounce ideas off mm-hmm. of and to create that uh, connection, albeit virtually. We're missing, we're missing the ether, right? Like we're missing the stuff that was just like floating in the air wherever you were working. I think there's two things to do. And this is actually what I, the, the new moms who I have been talking to over this time, um, who are trying to return to work in the middle of pandemic. First of all, I help them understand that, that actually a lot of what they're experiencing is, is similar to what their other colleagues are experiencing as we talked about before. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also suggest to them that, you know, the temptation is to come back and to, to reconnect just with your core team because you don't want to bother anybody. And, you know, every conversation requires, you know, must be scheduled. There's no proverbial water cooler. There's no candy jar on your desk, right? Like you have to be deliberate about it. And to know that actually, if you aren't being seen physically, there's probably a ton of people you work with. Um, who you don't work with directly, but who who's like cube or desk or office, you would have stopped by. So mm-hmm. make your list of the stop by people. And they're people who are probably not on your direct team. They're probably people who, you know, touch a lot of projects that you don't touch. But the way we grow is that you have a sense of what that person is working on. They know that you're around and available. They think of you to work on that too. And potentially those, you know, relationships are, are actually fruitful in terms of not just your immediate job, but your long-term career. Mm -hmm. So foster some of those, reach out to people, say, Hey, I'm back. Do you have five minutes for a call? Don't make it a zoom call. It doesn't have to be a zoom call. It can be a phone call. That's fine. Make it as easy for the other person as possible. They'll say yes. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to say, I don't have time to talk to you for five minutes, new mom who's just back, but they might not have thought of it because they probably didn't want to bother you. They didn't know if you were extending your leave. They didn't know the date you were coming back. So be visible in a more deliberate way. That's one thing. But then also the relationships that you have with people who are outside of your organization, your business, that are friend relationships. If those are friends who are doing, um, (laughs) in the the Francesca term, who, who are working for a paycheck, Talk to them in a way that is more, um, that's friend, obviously they're your friends, but also think of those as networking business relationships too. And that is not like taking advantage of somebody that's comparing notes about what's your employer doing for you right now? How are you making this work? What benefits do you have available to you? You know, do you qualify for the federal leave right now? How did, did you hear about it? Did they send an announcement about it? You have to, we all live in these and I say this to new moms, this is not, not new advice from me. This is advice that I give to moms who meet other moms on maternity leave. And the only thing they have in common is they both have a baby boy born in June. 
but they have these jobs in different spheres. So every job, every, every, every industry, but also every office and also every team has its little bubble of normal of mm-hmm. the things that we normalize that we think are like, this is just how it's done. As soon as you hear what somebody else's normal is, that's different from yours. Those bubbles start to pop in ways mm-hmm. that are really mutually beneficial to women in particular and to moms in particular. And so I would say, see those friendships that you have right now, many of which have probably fallen away, but the ones that are deep and that you've stayed in touch, like talk to those people about work, by God, please, you know, and figure out what's working for them and not working for them and do the same to share what your experience has been. Yeah. And I think there's so much in there too, because it's just, I, and I am catching myself saying that dreaded word networking because I oh, it always felt so cold to me. And to me, it's just a natural curiosity and inquisition into people and what's working for you and how are you being supported and, and what are you extracting from that and what change are you fighting for? Um, you mentioned a couple – sorry, go ahead. It's business development too. And, you know, that's something that is – really hard for everybody to do right now. You know, there's no, like, not only is there no, like, like meet me on the golf course, you know, for the, for the or maybe there is, I think some golf courses are open, <laughs> but you know, the struggle that a lot of, of new parents, not just moms, but new parents have had for years is like after work drinks or, you know, mm-hmm. like, how are you doing that? And also not getting charged by the minute for every minute you're late to daycare, or, you know, can you meet somebody for a lunch when you're pumping and lunch is like your one really good, solid pumping time. Um, so give some thought, not just to sort of, you know, the checklist of things that you have to get through every day, but try if you can to set some achievable goals every week that will eventually yield business development when we're back to like bringing new business in, like really foster those relationships. Yeah. And I think it's going to be sooner than we think, right? We're going to have to have some of those new business type discussions, new connection type discussions in this state. So what does that look like versus putting everything, you know, I think there was an initial and, and very rightfully so an initial reaction to put everything on pause and only mm-hmm. let the, you know, true priorities rise to the top, which is actually a great exercise. And mm-hmm. I think it's reset a lot of unnecessary rumination in the business world to just say, you know, that doesn't matter or just right. make a quick decision instead of kicking the can down the road for another two weeks. Um, but when I think about new moms, I do think, you know, and it's hard for me to remember back 13 and and Mm -hmm. nine years ago, but, you know, for some of us coming back was really important to get that division and to be able to have, you know, that, that line in the sand of, I am now going to get myself back a little bit and this is my professional time and I get to go to the bathroom and nobody's screaming for me and, you know, have all those freedoms. Um, And then for other women, it's, it's extremely. And I mean, I guess for all women, it, it is very emotional and it feels unnatural and it feels um, it's it's tremendously difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I just think it's so it, it's increasingly more challenging in this world where going back is actually not truly going anywhere mm-hmm. if you're if you're in a business world that's working remotely right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, speaking of, you know, sort of norms. One thing that I I learned since the time I did that talk at Google was um, about the history of FMLA, the Family and Medical Leave Act that allows for 12 weeks of unpaid leave. So I had known, you know, researching my book and even just anecdotally talking to, you know, these these hundreds of women 
that six months of paid leave is really the standard minimum that women need to be protective of their mental health, their physical health, baby's physical health, their partner's bond with the baby, their their ability to maintain their career and their ability to maintain their income. All of those things have been backed up by a ton of research. Six months is really like the six to nine months is really the right amount of time, but six is the minimum. And I knew that. And that's sort of where the whole concept of the fifth trimester came from was that, okay, but actually most of us you know, a good number of us in professional jobs are back at, you know, 12 weeks. And actually the average FMLA taken by an American woman is 8.5 weeks and 25% of American women have to take two weeks or less. So how do you bridge that gap between when you're back and when all the science says you're meant to be back? Also, by the way, who the hell is taking a two-week-old baby to take care of? Like, where is that child supposed to go? Right. No, that's (laughs) I mean... Yeah, it's, you know, that could be a whole other podcast, but it's, I mean, that's, it's insanity. Sorry, go ahead. Well, so, and that is one thing that has come out of this pandemic because I think that we are all now more aware than ever of, you know, the value of high quality childcare that just is not accessible to us. I mean, it's much more on, on the political stage right now than it ever has been. Thankfully, Tremendously, thankfully. Um, but so I knew that that gap existed. It's why, it's why I came up with the whole idea of the fifth trimester, these three months between like when you're back and when your body is ready to be. And which isn't to say that, you know, people aren't happy to be back. Like I actually found work to be quite, it it made me feel more stable. It made me feel more myself. I knew this identity, you know, of myself. I didn't know myself as a new mom yet, Mm -hmm. but what I've learned since, um, since doing all that research is actually the history of FMLA, which is that it was signed into law in 1993. It was one of the first things that Bill Clinton signed, Um, but that was after nine years of negotiations. And when it had actually first been proposed, it was meant to be 26 paid weeks because even 30 or I'm not doing the math, 30, 40 years ago, whenever that was, even back then the research pointed to six months of paid leave. And so it was a Band-Aid. It was meant to be a temporary compromise that was always improved upon, which, okay, there's a lot of stuff, you know, politically that gets signed into law like that. But what's happened culturally, and this is why I think if we can, you know, make any improvements now and even why, you know, the, the little bit of paid leave that's available, you know, um, because of because of COVID right now, um, changes the cultural norm so, so quickly. So we all say, how many times have you heard somebody say, did you get to take your whole 12 weeks? Mm -hmm. Oh, you got your whole 12 weeks. And, you know, yes, some of that may have been covered by disability. Some of it may have been unpaid. But if you were a person who got to take your whole 12 weeks, you were supposed to come back feeling like, I guess this is the amount of time that we need as moms. And so anybody who comes back and doesn't feel good or great or, you know, like, feeding the baby is hard. You're not sleeping yet. All these things that like you have to take off more time to go get your baby, his or her vaccines. And that's a hard thing to ask for at a time when you've already been away, all those things. Like it's only natural that it would feel hard. But instead, I think a lot of us, myself included at the time, internalize it, think there's something wrong with us. And you know, Mm -hmm. we we call it mom guilt. We say like, oh, I guess I'm just not that good at this, or I could have made better choices when actually like, no, it's just been there's this this silly standard that our culture has that is based in nothing except what was meant to be a political compromise. Right. That is, first of all, it's-, it's almost, I was looking for the word arbitrary. There it is. <laughs> it's almost making me want to cry because I, 
again, this was 13 years ago and I remember it like it was yesterday. Like I literally can even see where my desk was. I was a puddle of tears at my desk and I remember I am it was probably like AOL instant messenger or something, but I, I am my friend and she had a baby a year before me. And I was like, how much longer until I feel normal? And she's mm-hmm. like, it takes about a year. And I was like, what? I mean, I was like two weeks in. I was like, how am I going to do this for a year? I literally felt like I could not imagine doing it. And I will say for any new moms listening, as I'm now 13 years in, like <laughs> it goes by so fast. Every cliche is there. You will, you have that like whole runway that you look ahead of you as a working mom and you're like, how the hell am I going to do this? for, you know, the next 18, 20, 30 years. And I will say the time does go by. It does get easier, but it's important to know going into this that yes, successful women have been complete messes at their desk. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I can't even, I mean, I can tell so many stories that so many other women can tell about how awful those first few months could be and how much of a failure you feel like at every part of your life, right? Mm -hmm. You're just like, I'm not doing this well. I'm not doing that well. Um, And it takes a long time for you to treat yourself with forgiveness Mm -hmm. and to treat yourself the way you would treat other women in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, we are so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. and um, you know, and parenthood is talk about a marathon, Right. You will worry that same level that you worry about your two week old until they're, I mean, until it's over, like that, that part of it just never goes away. So you kind of, you find a way, way to manage. But, um, I had no idea that history of the, the FMLA. And I think you also hit on another topic, which I'm very passionate about. And it's this idea of paternity leave Yeah, and really encouraging men to have the opportunity, mm-hmm. to take the opportunity to really engage in that early care with their children. Because um, I saw it, my husband actually worked from home before he retired. <clears throat> so for better or worse, he was home for every day of both of my maternity leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really th- attribute that to how we've ended up in our, what I call flip family position now, mm-hmm. in that he is the primary caregiver and I'm the primary breadwinner. Uh, because he was so involved so early and really was able to embrace that role. And I was able to see how critical he was to helping our family run in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the more fathers that we see being able to take advantage of that, um, the more, hopefully the less mom guilt exists, right? Let dads have guilt too. They just don't get to talk about it. I always say that. Yes. Like, well, let's have the conversation about dad guilt. I would love to, you know, what's tough is that, you know, so often, you know, again, it's not, it's not a guilt thing of you've made a bad decision or you could have made a better decision to, you know, marry a partner who was, you know, more egalitarian in, you know, your approach to how you were going to contribute to this family it is really, really exacerbated by our culture, you know? And if you have a partner or husband who is, so, so, I mean, let's just say, you know, gender wage gap, let's say that he is better paid for the work that he does than you are paid for the work that you do, regardless of what those actual salaries are, like probably he feels better rewarded than you do because of the gender wage gap. 
Mm-hmm. So when you see couples start to make decisions about like who's going to drop out or, you know, who's going to have the, you know, the health benefits if you're, if you have them accessible to you on their job, that, that starts to like add up to a lot. And you start to feel this like tip of like leaning in the direction of, of one dominant person's job over the other when you're both pulling in a paycheck. And what we see for dads, as I said, you know, average FMLA for, for women is 8.5 weeks. Average FMLA for men is actually not measured. Um, the best studies I've seen put it somewhere between one and two weeks. And I think that's in part because, because a lot of people kind of don't do it on the record or, you know, they just sort of have a conversation with their boss or they work from home a little bit, are they really not working? And I don't mean to laugh. I mean, it's, 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 I laugh because otherwise I'll cry. And so, and so what happens, you know, particularly, you know, for high achieving women is that the time that they do have at home with the baby, we tend to professionalize it. And I'm not, I'm not blaming the victim here, but like, I will just admit, like, I am absolutely a gatekeeper. I wanted the, that diaper changed exactly the way I wanted it changed. I wanted the bottle heated up exactly the way up because, because I invested so much mm-hmm. of my identity and the work I was doing and sweating over all day long, to take care of this baby into doing things like the right way. And mm-hmm. so my husband would get home at the end of the day from his job. And I would like, you know, like he washes hands and I would throw the baby at him. But also I would be really critical, whether out loud or in my head, about wanting things done my way. And I and I and he didn't have the same opportunity to learn these things. So the actual practical advice, rather than just complaining on your podcast, the actual practical advice is if you have a situation in which your partner or husband cannot take the same amount of leave that you can, but they can take some. Have them take a little bit in the beginning, whatever you need for your physical recovery to feel safe and able to take care of the baby. Then if they have the ability to push off their leave until you go back to work. So if there's an overlap of maybe a couple days just before you go, so like, you know, he can know what size the diapers are, whatever, what, you know, exactly what kind of tushy cream is the best kind of tushy cream. Um, Great. But really what you want is you want the opportunity for you to go back to work for your baby to be in the care of your partner um, for a little bit longer rather than going to, you know, daycare or, you know, being taken care of by a stranger. And I trust strangers, but, you know, even still better in the family um, if they're still under six months. And your husband or partner gets the opportunity to really bond with that baby, to build a ton of confidence. The baby gets used to being taken care of by somebody who's not you, which, you know, as a mom of a 13 year old, you know that forever it can stick that like, you know, Mm -hmm. go ask, you know, like we have a mantra in my home of ask your nearest parent. Like, you know, but we had to, we had to create that mantra because they kept coming. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I'm sort of rambling a little bit here, but the point is, is that all of these patterns get, get set up very, very early on largely against our best intentions. And so we have to be really intentional in correcting them. And that is one good way to do it is to have an intermittent leave by your partner that takes place while you are back at work. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's, from what I've experienced, so my my speaking from my own bubble or my own interactions, men want to be involved in that. Yes, they yes. want to be. They don't want to miss it. They don't want to be the fathers of yesteryear who just left everything to you know the little lady at home. They love their children and they want to have that bond with them and have that dependence. And I think and they actually ambitious you right like they chose you <laughs> right somebody who wasn't going to be you know a career person. Right. And I think it, it's, it's, there's a lot, I hear a lot more from new fathers 
about them feeling less secure in their capabilities because they don't have the ability to figure out what their style is or what their favorite tushy cream is, you know? And I think, you know, we have a different setup in our family, but I was joking with my mother-in-law, my daughter, for some reason, I, she's a couple friends who, uh, whose parents are unfortunately breaking up. Mm. Um, and she said, you know, mommy, no offense, but if this is my eight-year-old, no offense, but if you and daddy ever got a divorce, just so you know, I would go live with dad. I'm like, ah, <laughs> not taken. I'm like, and she says it's so matter of fact. I'm like, okay, but you know, that's not happening. She's like, no, I know. I'm just, just want you to know. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but it's, it is endearing in a way because yeah. I mean, she's just so tight with him and she sees him in, we're both nurturing. And of course now we're both home, yeah. but she's got that connection with him from day one as her primary caregiver. And mm-hmm. I think that is so beautiful. I will take the flip side of this from the professional perspective. Mm-hmm. I see it as now Google has a very generous paternity leave. So we have match um, close to the maternity leave. Now men can either take that in uh, increments mm-hmm. or they can take it in one big chunk. So we see a lot of men taking it when their wives go back to work, doing exactly what you said, and then taking that chunk afterwards. Um to me, there are inequities in the workforce with that layout because they can choose when the best time may be based on projects, or they can choose to space it out so that they're never off track for promotion, et cetera. So I do think there's still this uh, motherhood penalty. There's still this maternity leave mm-hmm. gap that dis- disadvantages women and and doesn't have the same impact for men. But from a societal perspective, I do think that concentrated time where they are the sole caregiver will allow more men to uh, identify with that role and potentially say, you know what, this is actually more important to me because there's a lot of non-breadwinning men that are still in the workforce and may see this now as, hey, I can do this and I can be confident in my role here, which then allows the breadwinning woman to actually, you know, for lack of a better term, lean into her career more, you know, I mean, it's one of the, that's exactly what happened to me is as soon as my husband retired, it got so much easier for me to do what I do because I don't have to hesitate to raise my hand for an assignment or to take on a new risk because I know that I don't have to negotiate with somebody else's schedule. Um, Now it's a privileged position, 100%, but I do think there's something about uh, when you have two careers that com- that not competition, but that just aligning of schedules, that mm-hmm. negotiation, that piece where it does more of the child rearing, more of the household chores. It does fall to the women on top of that. So uh, it's a very challenging topic. We uh, I want to be cognizant and, and respectful of your time. Um, I feel like we could talk for hours and I can't wait. Next time I come up to Connecticut, I'm going to see if you're up there to uh, find you. But I have to um, in one study. This is a tiny study, but it's about paternity leave and I should have mentioned it. So there was a study done that showed that for every month of paternity leave a dad took, and this is in in heterosexual couples, that mom's earnings increased by 7% years later. So this was not 7% of her salary that she earned while back at work while he was home with the kid. This was exactly what you're talking about. It was Mm. freedom to be able to share the mental load, to know that you could lean into those projects because your partner had your back with the kids at home. Um, It has lifelong ripple effects that are amazing. 
Yeah, it really, I would love to see that study if you, you can dig it up. It, sure. it seems like it would be really insightful. <laughs> another country, sadly. I think it was like Germany or Norway or something. If you say New Zealand, I'm going to like. <laughs> oh, I know. I actually saw a story the other day about what it takes to move to New Zealand. And unfortunately, what it takes is you basically have to buy your way in. It's like. Well, and you know, there's this whole thing where all these like uber rich people have yeah. built like these bunkers yeah. out in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Which it's you know again another another inequity on this planet. But I did see a great network with them. What's that? A reason to network with them. Can I have a room in your bunker? Just before we go in these five minutes, do you have a space for me and my family? Oh my gosh. Well, I, first of all, I, I love your message. I love your book. I'm so glad uh, that you are pivoting into, you know, working not only with individual clients, but companies, because I really think the company and corporate and cultural aspect of this is where we really start to see change. Uh, in many ways, women are quite aware that these things are happening. You feel mm-hmm. seen and understood when you're able to read books like yours and, and you. you know, listen to talks like yours so you know you're not alone. Um, but I do think there is systemic change that needs to be addressed in order for these things to really see the societal shift. So thank you for doing that work on both sides of that coin. Um, and if there's people that want to learn more about the work that you do or potentially run companies that they would love to have you workshop with them, how can they get sure. in touch, contact? Absolutely. So my, my website is the fifth trimester, all spelled out.com. And I am, I am, I'm all over all social medias, but the one that I media girl one, I was an editor. Um, <laughs> the, um, the best way to find me is on Instagram also at the fifth trimester. And I would love to connect with you. I respond to all messages there and, um, I'm so grateful for this time together. I loved this conversation. I really um, oh. so enjoyed it and I'm so glad to have gotten to know you better. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you for joining me on top of all of your other work. Thank you so much. It's definitely a labor of love. You've got to find, as Eve says, your unicorn space, and this is mine. So Exactly. Oh, great talking to you. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. 